Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, president of the Rick Hughes Evangelistic Ministries. And I'm here to give you 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, and all done with no manipulation because we don't have hidden agendas. Here in this ministry, we don't attempt to raise money. We don't attempt to solicit anything from anyone, and we don't try to get you to join anything. We're not here to coerce you to do anything except maybe listen attentively. And if you listen, hopefully you will be able to verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you can do that, you have the freedom and the privacy, just like I do, to orient and adjust to the plan. That's up to you. No one can live our lives for us. We live our own lives. We make our own decisions. We are, in fact, products of our own decisions. It's very easy to blame our bad decisions on our environment, but that's not the way it is because uh, we're not a victim of our environment, we're a victim of our decisions. The Word of God is clear about that. And so if you're listening to the Flatline today, this is a show about the Bible, and it is a dialogue, a monologue, excuse me, it's a monologue, not a dialogue, which means it's not a call-in show. We simply will be here talking to you for a few minutes, going over the concept of establishing a Flatline in your soul. We're using that term Flatline as a military analogy. If you've done any time in the military, you know what a main line of resistance is, and that is the flat line, the forward line of troops. And this is not unusual. The Bible uses military analogies in a lot of different scenarios. So what I'm trying to show you is that outside pressure is always there. There's always the outside adversities found in life, but we do not have to convert it to stress. Even though adversity is inevitable, stress can be optional. And the way that we stop this conversion process is by learning those 10 unique problem-solving devices that we call the Flatline. 10 wonderful problem-solving devices that God has provided for every Christian. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have personally trusted him, then you have these assets There are many other assets you have. I guess I could list about 40 invisible assets that God gives you the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. We do have a list of that many. My pastor taught me that a long time ago. But these assets are incredible. Such things as the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is problem-solving device number two. Because we cannot operate in the Christian life by means of the energy of the flesh. It's a supernatural life, and it requires a supernatural power. And therefore, the mandate in the Bible to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the mandate that lets us know we can't live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. The rebound technique, which is problem-solving device number one, as taught in 1 John 1, 9, is the problem-solving device for failure. Remember, the Bible says if we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. That simply means that as Christians, we all will sin. 
because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we can sin with mental attitude sins, such as worry or fear or jealousy, or we can sin with sins of the tongue, which is slander or gossip or maligning or criticizing or lying, or we could sin overtly or openly, such as stealing or murder, or adultery, fornication. These are all things listed in the Bible. And as we sin, even as Christians, we will do these things. And when we sin, we quench the Holy Spirit. That means we can't live the supernatural Christian life with sin in our life. The only thing we can do is go back to the energy of the flesh. And in the energy of the flesh, you can act holy, you can act self-righteous, you can go to church and dress up and put on a nice suit or a nice dress, and everyone will think you're a nice, sweet Christian, except God knows what's in your heart. He can read your thoughts. And when you hide sin in your life, then your prayers will not be answered. Because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So you must rebound, you must confess known sin in your life, and you must confess it every time you do a sin. Don't wait until you go to bed at night. Rebound means immediately. So when I know that I've sinned, and, and I sin, yes, I do, then I rebound my sin immediately, and God is faithful and just to forgive me. That doesn't give me a license to sin. This is simply me having my feet washed. When my feet have been defiled with sin, just as in John chapter 13, the, the illustration that our Lord Jesus Christ taught on feet washing or foot washing, he is washing my feet from that defilement when I come to him and admit my sin. That's a wonderful problem-solving device. Rebound, the filling of the Holy Spirit, problem-solving devices one and two. And then the faith rest drill. Standing on the promises of God. We've covered all <clears throat> of these things in this radio show time and time again, and we are reviewing some of these things right now. So the faith rest drill is you taking a promise from God and standing still. You've heard me say that it takes a lot of excessive speed to break the sound barrier, but to break the faith barrier, you just simply must stand still. That's what Moses said in Exodus 14. Stand still and watch what God is about to do. So when you take a promise, it's like using a shield of faith. Paul taught this in the military analogy of Ephesians 6. Pick up the shield of faith and you stand behind the promise. And the promise will ward off the fiery darts of the wicked one or the attack of Satan. When Satan attacks you, Ever how he might do that, to tempt you, or to discourage you, or to confuse you. You pick up the shield of faith, and you stand behind the shield of faith, which means you must have verses, you must have promises that you can utilize at this point in time, because this is where your strength comes from. This is not unusual. This is exactly what our Lord and Savior did in Matthew 4 when he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And if you'll read Matthew 4, you'll see that our Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity quoted scripture. 
He stood behind the promises of his heavenly father. And that is what eventually secured his deliverance and Satan left him. This is what you and I must do, but you can't quote what you don't know. And thus, problem-solving device number four is very, very critical for all of us. It's called doctrinal orientation. Now, you can substitute the word biblical if you want to. I always call uh, learning the Bible, I call that learning Bible doctrine. Learning the promises and the procedures and the principles that are found in the Word of God. You've heard me say that God has a plan, and that plan is called the protocol plan of God. And if you're going to learn the protocol plan of God, you must understand the procedures, the precisely correct procedures that God requires. Listen, you can't make the rules up as you go along. So if you go to the Old Testament, for example, and you find that uh, if someone wanted to enter into the Holy of Holies, they better not do it if they wanted to live. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at one time, Aaron's two sons snuck in, and they both died. There is a precisely correct, correct procedure if we're going to obey God and serve God. And all that means is right things must be done in right ways. And I told you a moment ago about prayer. If you pray, that's always the right thing to do, but you can pray in the wrong way. So if you don't understand rebound, it's possible that you're praying even while you have known sin in your life and you think your prayers are being answered and they are not because Romans says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. Romans chapter 8, how could he intercede for you if you, in fact, have quenched the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit, he can't do his job. So you see, you must be sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit before you begin to pray. That's the protocol plan of God. And it is the protocol plan of God that you stay filled with the Holy Spirit every day, that you function in your Christian life under the power of God the Holy Spirit using the dynamics of his word, which is alive and powerful, sharper even than a two-edged sword. And so we come to doctrinal orientation, learning the word of God, using the word of God. And this is critical for us. We must know God's word. The term Bible doctrine that I'm using refers to the sum total of God's word. Those things that we need to learn, and those things that we need to apply into our life. So we call that metabolization. When you hear the word of God, you metabolize it, or you learn it and you apply it into your life. If you just regurgitate it, then it's not going to give you any sustainable energy. So it has to be learned and applied. So if you go through your Christian experience without any Bible doctrine, you have no answers, no solutions, and absolutely no motivation to live your life as under the Lord. Therefore, in 2 Timothy, the Bible says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This word study is a mandated verb in the New Testament. The word is pronounced in the original Greek morphology as spudazo, 
That's the Greek word study in the English. Spoudazo. S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O. I used to hate to have to diagram sentences in, in high school and go to the board. I never learned a whole lot about my verb nomenclatures in English and where this was and the predicate nominative and where that was and the adjective. You know what I'm talking about. But I have learned some things since then. And I've learned that this verb in the Greek New Testament is the imperative mood verb. The imperative mood is the mood of command. And it is an active voice, which means the subject produces the action. And so God is saying to you directly through the Holy Scriptures, you are to study to show yourself approved. If you do not study God's word, you are sinning. It's that simple. When the commander gives you an order, as he did here, and you disobey the order, you're sinning. Now, the order doesn't say how much you should study. It doesn't say you should study five hours a day, five hours a week, or five hours a month. It doesn't say that. And so if you get down to it, the question is, how much do you study? How much do you really spend time in God's Word, and why should you study? Let's go back to the verse. Study to show thyself approved. Approved. What is it you're looking for? You're looking for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The question is, if you can be approved, can you be disapproved? And the answer is yes. And yet this, we don't even really find out until the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3. And there we have the the uh, burning of the wood, hay, and stubble, and the gold, silver, and precious stones. Have you read that in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 16? What that's dealing with is your production as a Christian. Some of your production is energy of the flesh. It's called wood, hay, and stubble. These are things you did for God, religious things, while you were not filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the gold, silver, and precious stones, those are the same deeds you did for God, religious deeds, while you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a right thing in a wrong way is wood, hay, and stubble. A right thing in the right way is gold, silver, and precious stones. Now maybe you understand why Satan your enemy does not want you to study the Bible, does not want you to learn God's operating procedure. He doesn't want you to learn the protocol plan of God. If he can, in fact, lure you away with emotionalism, if he can, in fact, lure you away so that you never commit time to understand the mechanics of the Christian life, then he will have you doing all the right things in all the wrong way, and you won't be able to sustain it. Sooner or later, you'll get frustrated. Sooner or later, you'll throw in the towel and walk away, and he will win the victory in your life. If you're going to be the victorious Christian that God desires for you to be, if you're going to win the battle on the battlefield, then you must understand 
the operating procedures. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. Now, rightly dividing is a dental word. We use the word orthodontist, but the Greek word is orthotomeo. This is where we get the word orthodontist, which means to straighten out your teeth. This Greek word, rightly dividing, means to get it straight. In other words, there's only one way to interpret certain things. And this is where people mess up. In the Greek New Testament, there is not five different ways to interpret something. If we look at the English word love, L-O-V-E, and we look at that word and we say, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to love you. Well, is that word agape or agapao? Is it phileo? Is it arao? Is it stokeo? Because there are, in fact, four different Greek words that all translate out into the English as love. And they're all four different things. So if you just read it, you may get the wrong understanding of what it's saying. Let's take this little word do, D-O. I couldn't misunderstand do. Is that possible? Do, D-O. Well, in Romans seven fifteen, Paul uses that word three times. You can read it. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. He said it three times. And there are three different words. Proso, poio, and katagatsamai. Three different Greek words, and yet they're all translated do. Maybe this helps you understand why you need a qualified pastor to teach you these things. In Romans 8, 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And it would seem to indicate that if you walk after the flesh, you're condemned. But if you walk after the Spirit, you're not condemned. That's not what the original languages say. That was added by a translator. If you go to the original uh, Greek New Testament, it'll say this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And there's a period after that. And it doesn't say anything about who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That was added later. So you need someone to show you these things. Because your condemnation is not based on what you do or don't do. Your condemnation is based on what you believe or you don't believe. That's simple. It couldn't be any more simple than that. He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Why, why can it be so simple? Because Christ has done all the work already. He's already paid for everything. He is the one that went to the cross. He's the one that paid for your sin. He's the one that was our substitute. It could not be any more simple than that. And if we think that we can help him, that's like you thinking you can get out of the jet and push the jet and help it get to the West Coast a little sooner. And that's just not going to happen, is it? And so the Bible is very, very clear 
about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us and how he is the one that paid the price. He's the one that gave his life. He's the one who paid for our sin. And so the Bible clearly says, but as many as received him in John, book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them, that's the ones that received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And there it is. It's simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say you have to go forward. It doesn't say you have to join anything. It doesn't say you have to raise your hand. It says you have to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Do you believe he paid for your sin? Are you willing to accept his payment? Then you go to God and you tell him. You go to God and you simply pray. And you admit your sin to God. And admit that you are willing to receive Christ. It's that simple. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus was not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Those people who go to heaven are born of God. Born of God, not of the flesh. You can't bore yourself with God unless you're born again. You cannot have eternal life. And the Bible's clear about that also. We've talked about that before. Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again. This is called doctrinal orientation. When I'm giving you scriptures and verses and bouncing back and forth in the New Testament like that, I'm giving you truth because Bible study causes division. I mean, some people teach it for the wrong reason. Some people teach it the wrong way. They have a hidden agenda. Some people are trying to build a clique. Some teach from just plain old ignorance, not really knowing the languages. And some claim that they have some extra biblical insight and extra biblical revelation that no one else has. But here's the principle. If God told you and I to be careful, and he told us to get it straight, then he must have known there is a possibility, there is a potential, that somebody could mess it up. So listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 14.33 God is not the author of confusion. That word confusion means instability. It means a state of disorder. It means disturbance. God is not the author of those things. The Word of God is solid. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So the, God is not the author of confusion. Listen to the rest of the verse. But of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God is not wanting to confuse you. Sometimes we confuse ourselves because, number one, we substitute, <clears throat> we substitute ritual for reality, or number two, we substitute emotion for content. Just remember, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, and God is never unfair. 
He doesn't get emotional. So the Bible says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've already had one mandate, study. Now we have another one, grow. And this is another one of those verbs that's the imperative mood. This is a command. So as a Christian, if you're not growing, you're sinning. And here's the principle. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you're a baby Christian. God wants you to grow to become an adult Christian or a mature Christian. Your maturity is based on the content of the Word of God you have in your soul. It is not based on how long you've been saved. It's not based on how many days you've been to Sunday school. It's based on the content of the Word of God in your soul. That's what maturity is based on. So God wants you to grow in grace. That means he wants you to understand saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. So when you tell someone how to become a Christian, you don't confuse them and tell them to do it by means of works. And then there's living grace. And this is how God has provided for us every day to meet our logistical needs, to supply everything that we need. There's even dying grace where God promises that he won't take you until he's through with you at the perfect time, and it will be a beautiful transfer. And then there is even surpassing grace in heaven where the eye hath not seen and the ear hath not heard and the heart has never felt the things God has for you. See, learning these things, growing in grace, making straight the word of God in your soul, this requires a little bit of effort. And the best thing that I can suggest to you is that you must sit under a qualified pastor. You have heard me say this many times before. Unless you get under a qualified pastor, you're not going to grow very much. You may read the Bible every day on your own, and there's nothing wrong with that. You should read the Bible. But the Bible is a textbook, and it was designed by God to be taught to you. If that were not true, then he would not have given the men the gift of pastor-teacher, as in Ephesians 4, 16 and 17. If he gave men the gift of pastor-teacher, then it's designed to teach you something. And the question is, how much time are they willing to devote to teaching you? Once on Sunday morning or two or three or four times a week? I would find a pastor who's qualified in the languages that could teach me several times a week. If you don't know one, I can assure you there are some out there, and many of them have been at their churches for as much as 30 and 40 years. They don't have giant, big, great churches because they don't have those kind of programs, but they have solid, sound congregations who study God's Word, learn it, apply it, and use it every day in their life. And most everything they teach is recorded and offered free of charge. It's out there. If you're hungry, if you're looking, let me know. We'll hook you up. I hope you've been listening. Doctrinal orientation is critical. It is one of the ten problem-solving devices. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening. 
to the Floodline. Thank you for listening to the Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.